during that in-between time, whether you die or Jesus comes back, in that in-between time, Jesus gives us an example. And that example is we are called to wash the feet of other people. We're not called to be a superstar. We're called to be a servant. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcast, you know that we're in an extensive study of the Gospel of John. If you've missed any of our programs, they can all be found on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, David takes us to the 13th chapter in the second part of a message called, Why Jesus Washed Feet. Now, you need to know, in Jesus' day, there was a big water pot outside any home. And when someone arrived after having walked any miles or even yards, the first thing that would happen is the lowest servant in the home who was always, if there was one, a Gentile servant. For the Gentile servant was at the lowest rung of the ladder regarding a Jewish home. And if there was no Gentile servant, then the lowest Jewish servant had to do it. They would come and they would wash the feet of every traveler. Now, why? Because With sandals, you can only imagine the feet had all kinds of dust and clay and dirt upon them. Moreover, and my dear friend Manny Ahome, who started Samaritan's Feet with a desire to place literally millions of shoes on the feet of children all over the world, I asked Manny, why in the world do you think that's so important? He said, that's easy. The way diseases most come to children in the world is through their feet. They walk barefoot everywhere, and the germs and diseases and all of those things on the ground that are bad for our bodies enter the body often through the feet, so shoes keep that from happening. Well, you can imagine when the disciples got here to this upper room, there was no Gentile servant. They all were Jewish, and they all hadn't had their feet washed, and they've got their feet right next to the guy next to them, and Jesus is the one who gets up, and he washes each one of their gunky, ugly maybe disease-filled, toenails not clipped, ugly, bunion-filled feet, each one, from person to person to person, saying true greatness is not what you guys think, being power mongers in the kingdom of heaven that David once oversaw, but true greatness is when you get on your knees and wash the feet of other people. And what really strikes me here is guess who one of the 12 is? It's the one whom the devil had been tempted, who had invited into his heart. Jesus washed the gunky, dirty, ugly, betrayal feet of Judas Iscariot. Just get that picture. Jesus is washing the feet in love of the one who is just in hours going to betray him, turn him over to the Jewish and Roman authorities to be nailed to an ugly, horror-filled cross. That's the visual picture Jesus wants all of us to have in our minds for the rest of our lives. That's true greatness. Not to be served, but to serve and to give your life away to people who desperately need his love. Yes, Jesus said even love your enemies, just like he loved Judas as well. Let's move to verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
I mean, Peter watched the Lord of the universe trying to wash his feet. And remember, you know, you have in, I think it's Luke, the fifth chapter, where Peter said when he met Jesus for the first time, I am a sinful man, depart from me. He knew Jesus was special, and Jesus exposed all the sin in his own life. We know from Matthew 16 that Peter was the first one to say, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We know in John 6, he calls Jesus the Holy One, and he says, where else can I go to receive the words of eternal life? So Peter knew who Jesus was. He had a real sense of his greatness, and he goes, you can't wash my feet, what in the world are you doing? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not now understand, but afterwards you will understand. What's the afterwards? Well, Jesus knew that it was, again, between 6 and 10 of the Passover celebration. He knew that he'd be arrested around midnight. He knew that all the disciples would flee, and Peter would run to the place where he thought Jesus might be taken. And there, while he was waiting for Jesus to come after the two mock trials with Caiaphas and Annas, he knew, Jesus knew, that Peter would deny him. Deny that he even knew him, that he had no part of him, not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus was basically saying to Peter here, you're going to need my grace and the washing away of your sin in another few hours like you've never, ever known it before. You'll soon understand, Peter, the importance of this washing, this need for your forgiveness of your sins. Uh, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. So again, this washing is symbolic, not only of servanthood, but of Jesus forgiving the sins of his disciples. And he's saying to Peter here, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't understand the whole idea of washing away your sins, and you have no share in me. You're not with me. You're not in union life with me. So Simon Peter, this very compulsive, impetuous personality, who's so much like um, you and me, goes from, you can't wash my feet, to, verse 9, he said to Jesus, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, you know, wash every part of me because I want to be a part of you more than anything else in the world. I want your cleansing, forgiving love more than anything else in the world. And Jesus said to him in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean but not every one of you. So Jesus here is saying, as I wash your feet, you're clean. But not everyone around this circle is clean. There's one, he knew, who had yielded his heart to the devil and had planned a deceptive betrayal. And by the way, I'll look more deeply into that betrayal next week in some other verses which describe Judas' betrayal and hopefully give all of you some hints for your lives as you have been betrayed by someone or someones? Uh, how do you handle it from Jesus' perspective? Look at verse 11. For he knew who was to betray him. That is, why, that is why he said, not all of you are clean. So if you think a second, this is an interesting insight into the reality that if you love Jesus, he has forgiven you. There are two kinds of people in the world. Not only are there two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and darkness, there are those who are forgiven or not forgiven. If you are not forgiven, you're still living in the kingdom of darkness for your own sake and purposes. But if you have been forgiven, you're living in the kingdom of light. Jesus is your Lord, and he's guiding you. Now, the truth is, 
Once you have known Jesus and his forgiveness, you're clean. You have been forever forgiven. Um, Baptism is the evidence of that in the Christian church. Uh, This weekend at Hope Farm as we're worshiping together as a body and we're having some great ways to help not deal with masks and Delta variants and all of that, we will have a baptism service. And those people who are baptized will never need to be baptized again. They're forever cleansed. They're forever forgiven. But the truth is, as we walk in this world, even as followers of Jesus, we'll sometimes get some gunk on our feet. We'll sometimes still mess up. And we're going to have to go back and ask Jesus not to cleanse us from head to toe, but to cleanse our feet, to wash us clean. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins when we get some gunk on our feet, he is faithful and just and cleanses us forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So you see, even in that verse, there's the acknowledgement that sometimes we're going to mess up and we need to go back to Jesus' grace and he'll give it back to us. Now, let me just make one clear statement here. If you are using Jesus' grace to continue to sin, if you are knowing that what you're doing is wrong, yet you still do it going, oh, well, Jesus will forgive me. You are abusing God's grace and it says to me, I wonder if you understand Jesus' death on the cross. Because we know that he has forgiven us, and we know sometimes we'll mess up because we still live in these broken human bodies and broken human relationships in a broken world. Sometimes we're going to mess up, and we have to have our feet washed again. We go back to grace and then go, thank you, Lord, and get back on the track to obey him. You just don't use God's grace to abuse God's grace. That's not what a faithful follower of Jesus does. But again, Jesus realizes that we're cleansed by his blood. We are washed clean in baptism, but sometimes we have to go back to him to get our feet clean, and that's what he's doing here. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? Great question from any teacher. Do you just understand this visual example that I have given to you? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, so I am. He had called them to be their teacher. In that day, rabbis would call students to follow them, and he would become their teacher, their Lord, and they would listen to every word he said and also try to obey what he tells them to do. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, here's the key, folks, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He gives a visual example of washing feet and then says to us, there's the illustration. Now you spend the rest of your life washing other people's feet. Learn to be a servant. Go give your life away. That's what it means to truly and faithfully follow me. Dear friends, if I can speak for a second to the American Christian church, we have created a monster. We have said, you come to the show. We will put on the show for you. We'll give you a great entertainment. We'll make you feel good with all the songs and the great message. And then you go home after you've given us your money and do whatever you want to do. But the truth is, to be a part of the church really means every person washes feet in some way or another. That's why we have the call upon this church for you to find your way to just go. Go give your life away in some ministry or another. We're going to vision cast in the month of November, and one of the things we're going to do is to give you a chance to serve, really serve, wash people's feet. When you do so, you're never more like Jesus. Marilyn and I saw a movie the other night where the Apostle Paul got beheaded uh, in Marmotine in the 60s AD, and then he all of a sudden got 
transposed, transfixed miraculously to present-day times. And he's picked up by a guy, and the guy starts caring for him and realizes soon thereafter he is the Apostle Paul. And Paul learns English, and he starts asking about the church, and the guy says, yeah, this is where we go to church. And I'll never forget this. Paul looks at the guy and says, go to church? Where did Jesus ever teach that? He said, where did I ever teach that in writing the New Testament? What's this going to church? The truth is, folks, you don't go to church. You are the church. And we do come together to worship, but just to express our love for the Lord who washed our feet. And then we leave to be the church in the world to wash feet. So let me encourage all of you to use this example. As Jesus said, I washed your feet so that you'll wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I have given you an example, a living, breathing illustration that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, that's that truly, truly again. Listen up. This is important, Jesus is saying. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's just basically saying here, if he's master, that means you and I are the students and we follow him. We do what he does. We're not greater than he is. We don't tell Jesus what to do. He tells us what to do. And when we obey him, we're never more like him. Then verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Dear friends, the Christian faith is an emotion. You feel deeply for Jesus, but it's much more emotion than an emotion. It is deep love that obeys what Jesus tells us to do. If you really love Jesus, you'll obey his commandments. He says that in John 15. We'll get to that in just a little bit. If I say I love Marilyn but never do anything for her, my love is tepid. It's insignificant. If my love for Marilyn is real, I do things for her. I obey some things she wants to have happen in our lives. That's because love does. Love is a verb. Love obeys. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you really love him, you'll do what he tells you to do. And he says, blessed are those who do these things. Now, who wants to be blessed by God? Supernatural blessings. Now, another translation of blessing is happy. Happiness depends on circumstances, and it's not joy. Joy is the inward reality of the presence of Christ. It never changes. Happiness can change because circumstances can change. But Jesus is here saying, blessed or happy, your circumstances will change when you start doing what I tell you to do. You'll be the happiest in the world when you start washing other people's feet. Jesus said in another place in Acts 20, 25, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You're happier when you give than when you receive. So Jesus is encouraging his followers here to do as he tells them to do. You're never happier when you're serving. So if you're depressed today, you're discouraged today, Go serve somebody. Call somebody else uh, up in need who's in need. Uh, go feed a hungry person. Go give clothes to a naked person. Visit a person in prison. Go give your life away. That's what will ignite and stimulate happiness from the Lord, a blessedness from the Lord. That's what Jesus says so. Again, blessed are you if you do them, if you start washing other people's feet. Verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 41.9 when David talked about somebody who betrayed him. We don't know who that person was. Again, we'll talk more about that next week. But Jesus says, I know who has betrayed me, and this is in fulfillment of the Scripture. Dear friends, everything in the Scripture will be fulfilled. This book is absolutely true. 
and the fulfillment of the Messiah, who would have someone who would turn against him, is also fulfilled. And we know in Zechariah that uh, the betrayer would actually do it for 30 pieces of silver, written over 500 years before Judas ever did so. 500 years, fulfilled in prophecy and specificity. Amazing. 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed the Lord of love. For a few hundred dollars, he betrayed Jesus. But Jesus knew that was all going to happen, and he knew whom he had chosen. He knew the 11 who would remain faithful and the 12th who would not. But, but let's go back to the major theme of these verses. It's basically this. If you love Jesus, it's only because he first loved you and he chose you to be a part of his group. And he loves you till the end. You're just a sojourner journeying through this life until you ultimately go to your true home, heaven, to be with him again. But during that in-between time, whether you die or Jesus comes back, in that in-between time, Jesus gives us an example. And that example is we are called to wash the feet of other people. We're not called to be a superstar. We're called to be a servant. We're not called to build a big platform. We're called to give our lives away. And when we do so, we're never more like Jesus himself, the humble servant who left the splendor of heaven to enter the squalor of this earth to die a horrific death on the cross to give us the gift of eternal life because all of God's wrath was poured out on him instead of us. How are you giving your life away? How are you serving others? Do you think life's all about you? How are you washing somebody else's feet? The example of Jesus is clear. And he loved so deeply even the enemy who was betraying him at that moment. Would you dare love at that depth? Would you dare serve with that kind of vigor? That's the example Jesus gives us all. And I pray with all of my heart that Moments of Hope Church will be a humble church, an authentic church, a generous church, and a servant-hearted church. Because that's the kind of church he wants us to be. And that us as hopesters aren't going to just go to church. We're going to be the church in the world, salt and light, washing feet, giving Jesus glory. And that's the kind of church that will truly make a difference in this world and beyond. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about the goal of marriage. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. 
With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you gave a thought-provoking look at the goal of marriage. Will you tell us about this? I will. It's a very simple Davidism that was taught to me by my dad years ago that the goal of marriage is for two people to become one. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be foremost in our minds for those of us who are married. And I've been married for 43 years now with my beloved Marilyn. And Mm. honestly, Jen, in some ways we have been melted together in our spirits. And I don't know what's David and I don't know what's Marilyn. We we, we sometimes think like each other. We will uh, pre-speak what the other is getting ready to say. Uh, Mm. It's quite fascinating, but it's happened because we have over the years become one flesh. And that was God's design in Genesis 2.24 in the garden. He wanted two very different people, male and female. I'm sorry, society, there are only two genders. That's obviously what God created. And he wanted a very different kind of male and a very different kind of woman to come together and be one. And in that mysterious union that Paul calls it in Ephesians 5, you see the meshing together of individuals' lives like Jesus desires for us as him being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. The goal is for us to be in Christ, Christ in us, to abide in him, him abide in us, and mysteriously again that we become one with Jesus. And the illustration again mm. on earth is marriage as well. So we have the divorce statistic that's out here that, hey, you Christians are just like the world. One out of two of you divorce. Hey, secular surveys have been done that show where a man and a woman who worship together, pray together, serve together, give away their lives together, where they truly become one. That divorce rate is one out of over 1,000 people. Wow. That's because Jesus said it in Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined together, no person can ever separate. So I just wanted to mention to all of our listeners out there, if you're married, make sure you develop the spiritual side of your relationship mm. through worship, prayer, Bible study, you know, serving, all of those things, because those marriages are where two Different people become one, and there is no power or principality of darkness or another flesh and blood person who can ever rip you apart. Mm. It is a great truth all of us need to realize today. Well, it sounds really powerful, and the scripture that comes to mind is when two people pray and for something. And of course, if you have a marriage, you've got two people, so exactly. it sends a flight of angels into the purposes of the kingdom. It does indeed that there is that a prayer of agreement, and where mm-hmm. two or three agree upon something in prayer. There the Lord is, and that unites people together as well. That word agreement in Matthew is interestingly symphone in the Greek. It's the word from which we get symphony. And when a symphony plays beautiful music in concordance together, it is gloriously beautiful. Same in a marriage. When two people are praying together, worshiping together, loving together, they are joined together in a symphony that is absolutely glorious in the ears of our Lord. Wow, that is so beautiful, so powerful, and what a beautiful way to create a family in that symphony. Yeah, and when kids see mom and dad operating in that union, they feel secure because 
I promise, and this is yet another one we should do on another day, mm-hmm. kids are asking this question mostly, hey, mom, dad, are you guys okay? Mm. Uh, you're not going to get a divorce, are you? Because mm-hmm. they hear about it everywhere. Yeah. And when mom and dad make clear statements with their words, but mostly with their lives, we're one. We can't be separated. Kids feel secure. I love it. Thank you so much, David. Yeah. Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you'd like to receive a daily written moment of hope from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there from my heart to yours free of charge every morning, 7 a.m. in your inbox to help you have a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's HopeCast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for godly wisdom for the leaders in our state.